Welcome to The Pactum. I'm Pat Abendroth, and on today's episode, we are talking about legal issues and the Christian, things that have to do with the law, not the law as in the Bible, but as in the civil law. But before we go there, let me say a big thank you, a big Pactum thank you for helping to make my new book, Covenant Theology, a success. So many of you have given five stars on Amazon, and it makes it a lot easier to find. I've got a lot of nice notes. And that's encouraging. So thank you. It's exciting to watch it all happen. If you've not left a rating and a recommendation, please do so. Take a minute to do so. It really helps. Speaking of the book, Covenant Theology, we have a winner from the last episode. And if your name is Ricky Richard Jr., congratulations. You are the winner of Covenant Theology. Let us know your mailing address and we'll get that out to you. Also, let us know if you want it autographed. (laughs) or not. It might be a collector's item someday. Who knows? Our topic today is the law, but not the biblical law, as important as that is, even though we love to talk about that on the pactum, but the but legal matters, as in civil matters, the civil law. And to discuss legal issues with us on the pactum today, we have a guest. Today's pactum guest is pastor of Community Bible Church, or the pastor of Community Bible Church in Beloit, Ohio, as well as an attorney. He is my friend, John Tucker. Hi, John, and welcome to the pactum. Hi, Pat. It's a pleasure to be here. We're in your office in Ohio, and it's kind of fun. What does that sign say on the front of your desk? Uh, Got Squatch. Got Squatch. Yes. What does Got Squatch mean? Yeah, we're big Bigfoot fans here in Northeast (laughs) Ohio, so we're always on the lookout and uh, on the watch for the Squatch. Okay. (laughs) On the watch for the Squatch. You heard it here on the Pactum, and uh, I'm sure you Pactum listeners can see through your earbuds or through your stereo that... That that John does have a Pactum shirt on, so he's representing. That's right. W- w- on the watch for the Squatch with Pactum gear. <laughs> we, b- we believe. <laughs> oh my goodness! Uh, we are together because I've been at a conference along with my brother Mike Abendroth of No Compromise Radio with John and the congregation, and we've had a great time talking about being pilgrims. And uh, it's just been a lot of fun to watch the people respond and uh, super encouraging, don't you think? Absolutely. It's been a great conference. You and Mike have done a fantastic job and would encourage the folks to uh, get to our church's website or YouTube channel Yeah, and uh, uh, take a look at the uh, the sermons that were posted. Fun. We'll talk about that at the end so you can, get in, you can check that out with us. Okay. Well, let's talk about legal matters uh, and pastoral matters so people get to know you a little bit, John. How long have you been in ministry? And then the, then let's talk about uh, being an attorney and how long you've been doing that. Yeah, sure. So I've been the pastor at Community Bible Church for seven years now. Okay. And uh, I've been involved in ministry in some other churches um, for uh, probably the last 40 years. And uh, 40 years? Yeah, because my dad was a Baptist minister and okay. I was involved in teaching in his church and filling the pulpit and an elder there and then was an elder in another church in the area and then began the uh, uh, started attending Community Bible Church and became the pastor seven years ago. Awesome. Yeah. Very cool. This is my second time here, so good to get getting to know the people a little bit better. Right. And so you've been the preaching pastor here for seven years. Correct. But lots of pastoral ministry preaching, things right. like that. Before. Yeah. So I've been an elder, I've been teaching adult Sunday school classes, filling the pulpit. 
doing you do those a, things. You do a lot right now in ministry. So like a ministry week for you looks like what? Well, uh, I'm preparing for adult Sunday school class uh, where I teach through a book or cover a topic. We're working through Revelation right now. No, no um, small task. No small task, right? <laughs> um, and we, I teach in a, uh, a men's theology class. Uh, begins in the fall, alternating Wednesdays. We mm-hmm. covered uh, covenant theology this past year, uh, and I also there's then, a new book on that. That there is helped. a new book on that. Yeah, there's a great new book by a guy named Pat. I think uh, actually, it's a great book. So I had a chance to read about three fourths of it, and it's been great. Okay. And then I fill the pulpit on Sunday every Sunday morning, and uh, we're pe- preaching through the book of Colossians right now, and we're in chapter three, verse nineteen, uh, about husbands loving their wives, and so we're working through that passage and. Good. We'll continue to move through it and get to the end of it. Not sometime. to mention all of the other pastoral ministry responsibilities and caring for people. Yes. Right. So you have a full full plate. And, uh, oh, in addition, if you didn't hear me say already, John Tucker is also an attorney. So talk to us about that and how long that's been going on and what it looks like. Yeah, so I'm a licensed attorney in the state of Ohio and I have been for 33 years. And uh, I have a full practice. I practice law full time as well as pastoring full-time. And uh, my practice primarily focuses on business litigation, labor and employment law. Okay. Um, I'm a trial lawyer, and uh, so work with uh, a variety of different clients. A lot of my clients are churches and Christian schools. Okay. And uh, businesses owned by Christians and, and secular ones as well. Mm-hmm. And so I handle uh, you know trial work and advising and counseling clients on a variety of issues, helping them with... Uh, issues that are uh, often common with churches, structure issues, governance issues, some legal issues that they get involved in, whatnot. Christian schools have a lot of unique issues mm-hmm. in terms of relationships with parents and students and interaction with the community. So, so you have two full-time jobs. Uh, it's a good thing you have the gift of singleness and don't have any children. Oh, wait a second. <laughs> You're married to Debbie. You have three children. I do. One grandchild. One grandchild, yes. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So uh, how do you do it? I don't sleep much. Uh, so it's <laughs> I a, can attest it's a gift. to this. I can attest it's to that. It's a gift, I guess. Uh, so I have never required a lot of sleep, and so... I'm typically up in the wee small hours of the morning reading or working on something, and I get up early and uh, and just start the process over. Again. Not to mention so, the fact that you have horses and motorcycles that you mechanic. And yeah, yes, I've got some horses and some motorcycles, and I like to golf, and <laughs> so uh, I'm a man for all seasons. It's good. It's very good. You have great stories as a result of all of these things, Indeed. that's for sure. So let's get into the matter of... Uh, the law and legal things. Did I say it correctly when I talked about, we're not talking about, talking about biblical law, we're talking about the civil law. Did I say that right or is there a better way to say it? No, that's correct. Yeah, we're talking about, um, I'm, I'm a civil attorney, so okay. uh, we're talking about um, the law as it applies to any variety of civil issues that can come up with regard to a business or a church or an individual. Okay. And Pactum listeners, I realize that there are a number of you, quite a number of you that do not live in the United States. And so some of these things won't be directly applicable to you, uh, but you might find them interesting. Um, Hopefully you do, or maybe you want to move on to the next episode. But John's a great guy. uh, And maybe you want to learn about things that are happening in America, because maybe you've got it better where you are, or maybe you have it worse where you are. But just to clarify, we're not trying to answer everything. We, We live in the United States. And John is an attorney here in the States, so we're, we're speaking. It, it's a bit limited on this particular episode, just so you're aware of that, because we're aware of that. 
So with that in mind, let's talk about Christians, and then we'll talk about pastors, then we'll talk about churches, um, just as far as legal matters, things that we should be aware of, things that maybe might be blind spots, so that we're more equipped and more uh, informed. And I think, John, you're the guy to help us with that. Sure. What, what do Christians in general need to maybe think about that they hadn't thought of otherwise when it comes to the law? Well, I think the most common thing that I encounter is the issue of taking care of the family, the estate type of issue. So wills, things of that nature, mm-hmm. being a good steward of what God has blessed you with. Um, and there's been too many occasions, unfortunately, where people have come to me, a spouse has died. There's no will. There's no power of attorney. There's no living will. There's no documents to deal with issues regarding minor children or things of that nature. And you're in a crisis mode. And that's no time to try to deal with anything that that's urgent or critical. Sure. And so it's better to have those things planned out. We want to be good stewards of what God has entrusted us. And you know, thankfully, the Lord has placed us in a country where we have the ability to have these types of legal documents to help us to achieve um, uh, objectives for you know issues related to death or mm-hmm. estate planning issues, things of that nature. So, at, at a minimum, I believe that every Christian, just as a good steward, ought to have a will, okay, a power of attorney. Uh, for both just general business and, and, and issues, because a person passes, you want someone to be able to continue on mm-hmm. with the family businesses or the business of, of just the family, the checkbook, the bank accounts, mm-hmm. things of that nature. When, when do you think, when's a good time to do that? You want to wait till you're, you know, retired? No, no, absolutely not. You <laughs> Talk to us about why. Yeah, well, because, I mean, it, it just becomes more tedious and more burdensome. This is a, a lifetime type commitment. So, mm-hmm. you know, a single person can have a will. They ought to. Um, a married couple should certainly have a will. Mm-hmm. Um, so the spouse can, each of the spouses can deal with the business of the other in, mm-hmm. in the event of a death. Dealing with minor children. So a young couple has a couple of kids who are minors. If both were to pass in a common accident, who's going to take care of the children? And unfortunately, what happens sometimes, those issues don't get covered, and you may have a state law then that tells or dictates how that issue is resolved. And so you end up having some secular agency, uh, a a children's services type board or a court or uh, an unsaved relative who decides to interject themselves into the issue and decides we're going to raise your children or you want to be able to control and direct, and you can. There are ways to do that mm-hmm. in your will and through other documents, too. So that's that's a prudent thing to do. So it seems to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, okay, it's good if you're single. It's even more important maybe if you're married, and it's even more important if you have minor children. I mean, all yeah. are important, but by all means, as, yeah. a, as a pastor, I tell people, if you have kids, you, you need to get with the program. Absolutely, yeah. You, you definitely want those types of things in place. And then as you age... Your circumstances change. Of course, your your children who are thirty and thirty one aren't going to have to go live with their aunt. Um, if you, well, if you've, you not die. My, you've not met my children. <laughs> okay, I'm kidding. So, uh, but but yeah, so you want to keep up with those things. And as you age, your estate expands. You may end up getting into a situation where a trust or a LLC. There's other family planning mechanisms that mm-hmm. can be beneficial to help minimize tax consequences and to ease the burden of estate administration upon death, minimize the opportunity for probate, mm-hmm. things of that nature. So there are there are tools that are available to us. Uh, and again, I, I emphasize the fact that the Lord in his good providence has placed us in a country where we have these things available to us, and they're not very difficult to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you can you can find a, a, a good attorney in your community who can help you with these things and advise you on these matters. 
There are some things that are available online. I'm not a big fan of those because some of the more difficult cases that I've had to unwind are mm-hmm. ones where people have done these things on their own, done them wrong. Okay. Um, haven't done them the way the law requires and are of no effect, and they create more litigation or more issues. Mm-hmm. Um, so it just allows you to perpetuate what the Lord has blessed you with. Wills can even be statements of testimony. I've had people who've put their testimony in their wills, mm-hmm. who've quoted verses, these things were read in a family meeting, things of that nature. Intriguing. So it's helpful that way. So it's kind of a lifetime process. You start it off and you kind of just continue to build on what you've developed and mm-hmm. and, and work through it to the end. Okay. Good. That's super helpful advice. So uh, maybe somebody needs to reach out to an attorney. Maybe they know one who can recommend the appropriate kind. Yeah. So there's a variety of of resources available. There's the Christian Legal Society. There's typically a chapter in every state. Mm -hmm. They can make a referral to you. You have state bar associations who will refer people to attorneys Mm -hmm. that have certain skill sets or practice emphasis, family lawyers, probate lawyers, things of that nature. Okay. Um, And so each state is unique sometimes to itself with regard to how certain things work. So in Ohio, things work a certain way. In Michigan, they work a certain way. In Pennsylvania, it's a commonwealth, so they have some unique laws. Louisiana is very unique in terms of how things work there, in terms of the way they've structured certain things. So you want to go to somebody who's licensed in your state so they can advise you correctly on what the best things to use are. What are some other things maybe we need to think about as Christians as it would relate to the law? Legal matters? Well, certainly, um, I spend a lot of time working with churches, and and so as as our culture shifts more to an anti-Christian perspective, and we see the government becoming more aggressive with us in terms of laws that are being passed. So, for example... Um, you have issues right now pertaining to the Religious, Religious Freedom Restoration Act. And just last week, someone proposed an amendment to that act, which is intended to protect our exercise of religion. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a codification of our rights under the Bill of Rights um, and, and, and provides more protection. But this Do No Harm Act is now pending before Congress. And what's that? Well, it's interesting because what it says basically is that we don't care if people exercise their religious freedom as long as it doesn't harm someone else. And so the question now becomes, what is harm? Mm -hmm. So you saying, for example, well, I don't think two men should be married. Mm -hmm. Well, the exercise of your religion in that respect would be harmful to a group of people. Okay. So those who are involved in same-sex marriage Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. um, issues related to stating that homosexuality is a sin Mm -hmm. or that God created uh, a male and a female in the context of biological sex. Yeah. So those types of things are a concern, and we ought to be alert to those things. And so what happens then is that churches need to be aware of that, because if if someone comes to you, and let's say they're a homosexual and they want to teach Sunday school, mm-hmm. or they want to join your church, how do you deal with that issue, and do you have documents in place to address those types of contingencies? Someone wants to use, a man comes to your church and wants to use the women's restroom. Mm-hmm. How are you going to deal with that? Well, at a baseline, you're going to have to have governing documents that identify your sincerely held religious convictions with respect to those issues. That comes out of your statement of faith, your constitution and bylaws. Okay. You must have those documents as a church. If you don't, you're very derelict in your responsibilities and stewardship of the church. Okay. And so you want to make certain that you have those things in place because if you're challenged, your defense to those types of actions against the church mm-hmm. are going to go back to your statement of faith. You can say to the court, Your Honor, we have always held or we hold to this position that 
God created male and female. This is a sincerely held religious conviction. And you've said that twice now. That's an important word. It's a word very important word because it's the standard by which the court measures um, whether or not the church is just acting on a whim or in okay. some prejudicial manner. Or so if they are can... sincerely held religious beliefs. Correct. Okay. Yeah, so you just don't want to be kind of flying, you know, uh, uh, just kind of making stuff up as you go. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, we've always kind of thought this. And so there's another way to do that, too. Tying your statement of faith to some of the historical confessions okay. are helpful. Mm-hmm. Because what that does then is it shows that you're holding to a historical pattern of biblical interpretation, mm-hmm. the authority of Scripture, the inerrancy of Scripture, because you will make a statement that you affirm that you believe the Bible is true, that it's authoritative, it governs faith and practice in all respects, mm-hmm. and we rely upon that. And so the court then says, okay, these people truly are Christians. They are sincerely holding these beliefs, mm-hmm. and I believe them because they can show to me that they have uh, a system of governance that relies upon the, the historical and consistent interpretation of these types of issues okay. from a Christian perspective. And that is severely under attack. Okay. Um, and absent that, we're going to have a lot of problems. And so, you know, I go into with a client and we sit down and that's the first thing I do. What's your statement of faith? Mm-hmm. And it's been kind of shocking at times because you find that a lot of churches don't really know what they believe. Okay. Um, and they haven't taken the time to work through these types of issues. And issues regarding men using women's bathrooms or vice versa and issues regarding people who become members and then you discover that they have an agenda, that they're advancing some type of cause and they got into your church uh, with ill motives. And that happens. Mm -hmm. Uh, We had a a church here in Ohio uh, where a woman came in and turned out that she was working for another organization. They had targeted the church. And seriously, oh, yeah, they had wreaked havoc and she was homosexual and a lesbian. And she decided that she was going to teach Sunday school. And then this was all came out. And then mm-hmm. the church said, no, you can't and removed her and mm-hmm. she sued. And it was just a complete nightmare. So on a practical level to say, try to, to, how do I say it? To try to give some sort of safeguard. You've got to have written things. Yeah. So for example, I, I mean, uh, states, each state has its own system for incorporating. Mm-hmm. Um, and so most churches are organized as nonprofit entities, and you can register with your particular state through the Secretary of State's office, and there's forms that you can go online mm-hmm. and fill out. Um, and, and that then begins, begins to provide you with that baseline corporate protection structure okay. uh, that will help a church. Um, and then you have governing documents that are related to that. So you're going to have a church constitution that's mm-hmm. going to address – Things related to who is a member and how do you become a member? Yes. What are members' responsibilities? Who are the elders? How is the church governed? Is it congregational rule or elder rule? Mm-hmm. Um, and then you get into issues regarding what you believe and how to discipline members. That's a big, big issue. Mm-hmm. Um, you better have a system that's spelled out relative to the discipline of a church member mm-hmm. uh, because a lot of litigation against churches oftentimes arises out of church discipline matters. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you want to have your statement of faith mm-hmm. and all of those documents working together. Um, and, and those are your corporate governing documents mm-hmm. then. And you still may find yourself in hot water. Yeah. And but- I, and, and what I'm in, and so what's going to end up happening that you're going, you're going to want those documents, but we're going to still face litigation. There's nothing that's uh, a fail safe to prevent litigation. Mm-hmm. People have agendas and there are groups of people who are specifically targeting churches. Mm-hmm. 
uh, to come in and wreak havoc and advance their agenda. Mm-hmm. So is this some, uh, one of the reasons why churches have insurance? Does it help yeah. them some? Yeah, some, so yeah, that's, not, that's a great question too, because sometimes the insurance may not necessarily cover this particular topic. So mm-hmm. you'll want to have a conversation with your insurance company so you don't get a letter reserving rights as it relates to a particular claim and then find out you don't have insurance coverage mm-hmm. for a particular issue. Okay. So you would want to take a look at that. And if you're a larger church then, um, I know some smaller churches typically don't have a very robust staff and don't need employee handbooks and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. But if you're a larger church and you have a staff and you have employees, then you're a business. You're engaged in that type of thing that would require an employee handbook. And you would want things like how to report forms of harassment or um, um, uh, governance of issues relative to people being off of work or terminating Mm -hmm. employment and things of that nature, because litigation can arise out of those issues too. Mm -hmm. And we've already seen some of the allegations that have come out about abuse and things of that nature. And one of the one of the criticisms has been that these churches didn't have in place a mechanism for people to report mm-hmm. something. An affirmative defense to a report of, bu- of, a, of abuse is the fact that you had some type of mechanism in place to address those issues. Someone where a person could go and report an allegation and that it would be handled discreetly and with decorum and in a way that would ultimately render some type of decision okay. uh, that was fair and, and impartial. Mm-hmm. In that regard, so that's that's an important issue too. That can also become an insurance issue in some respects. Okay, so is, is there the documents need to be in place? Uh, is there are there big mistakes that churches make that leave them vulnerable to getting themselves into legal trouble that they could otherwise avoid? Yeah, they don't have the documents. That's the most okay. common issue. Okay. So if we if we have those, any other kind of uh, advice that you need to give to churches as far as other things they need to think through so they don't get accused of hate speech, or is it just a matter of time before it happens? Well, I mean, I, I think it, the, the hate speech thing is going to be difficult because anything we say is hate speech. Hmm. That's, that's what we're coming down to. I mean, okay. in Canada, you just, re, just passed a law that basically says – Pretty much anything a pastor says from the pulpit could be hate speech. Right. Reading the Bible in and of itself could be hate speech. Mm-hmm. So we, we, we don't have to – I think we have to be concerned about those things, but not to the point that it stymies the purpose of ministry okay. and, and, and what God requires of us. So mm-hmm. we proclaim the truth, and, and we allow him to deal with that as he sees fit in the context of how people react to mm-hmm. it. Um, so the, the issue, though, oftentimes is a lack of – Supervision with regard to staff, um, not having policies and procedures in place relative to things like nurseries, who's in the nursery, mm-hmm. um, uh, background checks for people who are serving, um, uh, things of that nature, mm-hmm. knowing who you are using, not putting people quickly into positions because you may not know who they are, or what their background is, or what their issues are, getting to know somebody, only allowing members to, f- to fill certain roles within the church. Um, that's a big issue. These are good safeguards. Absolutely. common sense. Yeah, common sense right? safeguards. So having those things articulated and policies that are written to address them is, is really prudent. Some of the common areas where you see issues arising in churches is, you know, if you have, uh, if you have a man who wants to work in a nursery, mm-hmm. that 
even insurance will red flag that. Oh, interesting. By themselves. Now, typically, if it's a wife or, uh-huh. uh, you know, someone who is, you know, involved in that in the context of other people being in the room at the same time, mm-hmm. that can work at times. Um, but typically, if you have someone who wants to be alone with children, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. working by themselves in that context, that's a that's a massive yeah. problem. So I don't know if you think it's a good idea or not. John, you and I have not talked about this before, but... Uh, at, at Omaha Bible Church, where I am, we have a two-adult rule, and no matter what, no matter what, if you're working with children, and for us, that's birth through 19, or until they're 19 in Nebraska, it's always two adults. Yes, and that's very prudent. And it's it's a hassle. <laughs> it, it can be. but you It's know, hard to fill those roles sometimes. Yeah, yeah, but to protect the children that we love, but also to even to protect the volunteers against false accusations or something like that. And we have a six-month rule, where our six-month waiting period, you can't work with kids until you've been at the church at least six months, and you know background check and that stuff. But some of these things seem to just be common sense. They are, but they're often ignored, okay. and, and it's shocking, quite frankly, because churches, I think, give people the benefit of the doubt. Hmm. They, they want to work with people. They want to be gracious. They want to be open, accepting, loving, kind. And in doing so, they oftentimes open themselves up to some pretty significant problems. Okay. Um, and so there is a bit of a naivete, I think, with regard to how churches have historically dealt with these issues. And I just think we need to move back from that. We're going to have to be very prudent, wise as serpents, but gentle as doves, mm-hmm. um, and, and using the laws that are available and the mechanisms that are available to us that the Lord has in his good providence provided to us. Yeah. You know, the laws, the courts have recognized that the presence of these governing documents, these policies, these insurance policies, these types of practices mm-hmm. are good safeguards and protectors for what the Lord has entrusted us. So it becomes a stewardship issue. Okay, good. Do you have any thoughts, uh, even off the top of your head, about what we, what we are going to do about restrooms in light of the crazy kind of transgender issues going on? You know, are we going to put a security guard at the bathroom door and ask to check people's yeah. status? I, I mean, yeah. What, well, I think it's just going to become a hill we die on, frankly. Um, okay. I, 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 it's going to become one of those issues that I think is going to be the great dividing line. Hmm. And I think it's going to be one of those issues that's going to result in a form of persecution against the church and that the government will use, um, for example, in this do no harm. Hmm. So they would perceive then under the modification of the current law that a church who would say that a man can't use a woman's bathroom mm-hmm. as an abusive use of religious freedom mm-hmm. because you're harming that segment of our society. Right. And therefore, you violated the law, the, whether it be some form of anti-discrimination law. We've already seen some of the Supreme Court decisions on these issues. The Brock case out of Michigan with the mortician case where the man was dressing like a woman and uh, it was a Christian uh, funeral home and they terminated the person and the person won in court. Hmm. Uh, end up having to pay him two hundred and fifty thousand dollars um so those are those are the challenges that we're going to see as churches, and I think it's those things that we're going to have to know that more likely than not we're going to be challenged on them and um the way things are going, defense of those could be difficult hmm. so what if we just retrofitted our bathrooms in their individual bathrooms, and so you go in alone and sort of like Starbucks does, yeah. Uh, what if we did that so we didn't have to stand there and check to see if the the woman identifying as a man or vice versa really looks it? So we don't have to check. 
Right. Would that be a good option or is that a compromising option or just what's your opinion? I think it could be a possible option. I mean, I think there are ways to look at some of those issues, but at the same time, we don't want to adopt a policy that compromises what God's word has said. Sure. And what the church stands for. Not that, not that you're saying that, but we have to be cautious about that as well because we want to be people who are standing firm on the truth of God's word Absolutely. and affirming yeah. that a man is a man and a woman is a woman. Yeah. I was just and, thinking in terms of under, I, I can't, I cannot tolerate as a husband and as a man, a man in the restroom with my wife. Right. And that'll be the end of it. If for right. me. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll stop going to that church. Correct. Or, or we'll put a stop to it. But at the same time, I don't really want to post a security, a bathroom security guard, um, finding out, you know, what kind of chromosomes the person has before they go in. That's true. That's true. So it's it's a catch-22 a little bit for me personally. Just yeah, it is. And I again, I think there are ways that we can perhaps address them from the standpoint of, like you've suggested, or, um, uh, you know, unfortunately, maybe it is one of those things that you have to kind of monitor in some way. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, it's going to be hard. It, it's developing, and the way the law is working there may not be any policy that ultimately works okay. unless it's just so open and so free that it doesn't matter and the church doesn't care and we're just going to be open to everything that comes down the pike. It's hard to live in Babylon, John. It is hard to, yes, we are exiles <laughs> as you so passionately per- presented today for us. Oh, I've been, I've been, I think, to other countries where they have like outdoor urinals. <laughs> <laughs> there's that i mean oh. there goes modesty but right. um uh yeah so and, and and perhaps you know we end up putting porta potties outside of our churches and we don't pay attention to what people are doing and whatnot oh so uh we who knows at this point how about legal matters as they would relate to pastors well the biggest issue with with pastors is counseling okay so that's that's the hot that's the hot area that's mm-hmm. where pastors get in a lot of trouble mm-hmm. Um, so you don't want to, you don't typically want to counsel by yourself. Um, you don't counsel with doors closed. Okay. You let other people know that you're counseling. Mm-hmm. Um, you limit the time that you're counseling. Um, and the minute you have any sense that a person is uncomfortable in counseling mm-hmm. or has a concern about something that you're saying, you typically want to pull back a little bit, hmm. bring some other people in, mm-hmm. talk to another elder. You know, typically I like to have. Um, another elder with me, mm-hmm. and I talk to the person in advance and say they they want counseling on some topic. I'm going to say, okay, I'm going to have another elder with me, okay, and let them know that. And that way, um, there's always an additional witness as to what was said, and you avoid the he said, she said mm-hmm. scenario. Mm-hmm. If it's a woman, I typically want to have another woman in the room with me. Sure. I'll, I'll talk to that person about it. Typically, it's my wife or maybe someone else in the church who's willing to sit in. Again, you're protecting the pastor in that way mm-hmm. because the pastor is very vulnerable in those situations. Mm-hmm. And we know that people are willing to make allegations that are sometimes baseless. Sometimes they're actual. Mm-hmm. So you want to avoid the situation where the pastor is placed in a compromising position or the person is placed in a compromising position. Mm-hmm. So you're protecting the church that way, too, and what the church um, stands for and its name and reputation in the community. So pastoral counseling is a big deal. Insurance is important in that as well. Mm-hmm. You want to make certain that your insurance policy covers those types of issues. Sometimes there's exclusions for that uh, that can become somewhat tricky. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I think with regard to that area, um, that's the typical most common area that a pastor has exposure. Hmm. And we've seen that. I mean, we know of some of the cases that have been reported with some of the 
more popular, well-known pastors who have been accused of not handling pastoral counseling issues correctly or properly mm-hmm. or didn't have enough people involved or were accused of inappropriate touching during a counseling session or advances were made or things of that nature. You have to be very careful about that. And sometimes maybe you need to be in a, in a public place. That's true. Something. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think depending on the topic, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, you have to choose the appropriate setting for that. You want people to be willing to speak openly and candidly as, as a, with you as a pastor. Mm-hmm. You want to get to those hard issues and help them with the Word of God in that regard. So you may want a more private setting. I've typically found that to be a little bit better because people can eavesdrop um, and things of that nature. So people do have an expectation of privacy. You have the clergy um, uh, uh, privilege that attaches to the communication, so you want to protect that as well. That's why you want to get that person's permission to have another person in the room, Mm -hmm. understanding that that privilege extends to that person as well. So do you have any thoughts about video cameras in church and maybe where we should have them, where we shouldn't have them? Well, the general rule about video cameras is, you know, they're appropriate in common areas where there's Mm -hmm. an area that a person would have a reasonable expectation of privacy, like a bathroom. Obviously, yes. They're not appropriate. Right. But generally, yes, I think a church having video cameras from a safety standpoint Mm -hmm. is important. We have found that some of the video surveillance of some of the violence we've seen at churches has been helpful in catching the person mm-hmm. who was engaged in it or having, you know, uh, an understanding of what transpired. Um, so, yeah, video cameras can be very beneficial. Mm-hmm. And, again, you want people to be aware. I think some people would appreciate the fact that there is a video camera and that, you know, if someone were to come in and do something, there would be at least a, a record of it. Or, you know, if, if the pastor's in the church by himself and someone comes in and, they're in some area where it can be videoed. That's safety for both people, okay. and that type of thing is helpful. Mm-hmm. So I think that's something that the elders have to sit down and work through and maybe even bring in a special consultant about security. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of companies who offer guidance and, and advice on how to do that I think that's a great point because we're, you know one of the qualifications for being a pastor is not understanding video surveillance. Well, exactly. And I mean, the experts. You know, that's, we use the experts for that. So you we're, know. Not, we're not legal experts either. That's why we're talking to you. Well, I um, hope it's helpful. <laughs> I think it's tremendously helpful. Good. Uh, any other legal matters you want to talk about before we shift gears? Yeah, sure. Um, I, I think just uh, in terms of... of um, Understanding the times in which we're living and how quickly they're changing, okay, I think is something for the churches to be attentive to. I think churches need to be alert to the fact that you do have certain legal rights and you shouldn't be afraid to use them. You know, what do you mean? Well, I mean, sometimes churches take the position, and I have found this to be true more often than not, Hmm. that as a Christian, I just can't assert my legal rights. Um, and um, I, I, I think back on the Apostle Paul in Ephesus asserting his rights as a Roman citizen to keep from being improperly treated mm-hmm. and from being basically lynched um, mm-hmm. and by the mob, mm-hmm. which was about to happen. They were coming after him. Right. And he said, wait, I'm a Roman citizen. Um, and so I think Christians need to be attentive to the fact that we – um, uh, while we're engaged in a ministry, we're also entrusted with a responsibility to be aware of what the Lord has provided to us in the laws that he has so graciously provided to us. There's no nation. In his, pro- in his providence. In his providence. Yeah. There's, we, we are unique to the world. Hmm. There is no other nation who has the rights or privileges that we do as citizens. Hmm. And I'm, I'm oftentimes disappointed and saddened 
that churches aren't more willing to engage the culture and engage the government with the rights that we have. Uh, I'm not talking about a 1 Corinthians 6 type thing where we're in church suing each other. Mm-hmm. I don't think that verse applies to the broader context of exercising our rights as citizens in a country where we are protected in the engagement of our religious practices. Mm-hmm. And so I think churches need to be a little bit bolder and and willing to step up to the plate in the face of the onslaught that we're going to see from especially this shift that we're seeing in the um, uh, with the transgender issue and the homosexuality issue and all of these things that are coming into the church and making certain that we're not giving ground up that we don't have to. Hmm. Good. So how do we learn about that kind of stuff? What's in practice? Well, the Alliance, uh, the Alliance Defending Freedom Organization is a great resource. They are, they, they've kind of become the uh, tip of the spear, if you will, with respect to advancing Christian rights and okay. protecting Christian rights. I know during the pandemic that they were very vocal about the rights of churches to continue to meet and how they met and when they met. So that's important. Mm-hmm. I think paying attention to what is taking place in Congress and in state legislatures as well. A lot of these things get snuck under the under the radar. Mm-hmm. You know, for example, we've got some st- stuff pending here in Ohio that is extremely radical and left wing, and we need to be attentive to those things and to make certain that we're contacting our representatives and our our our, our governant or our, our governing agencies and things of that mm-hmm. nature, voicing our concerns, contacting our senators and state reps and things like that. Good. And you're not trying to do all this because you're a theonomic postmillennialist no, not trying a, to uh, turn uh, Babylon into no. Jerusalem. No, I'm it's the further, just, I'm the furthest thing from it. Um, but but again, I go back to Paul. Mm-hmm. And I think that's interesting. And indeed, what Paul did was really fascinating. Paul used the law to advance the gospel. Hmm. And and what he did was he worked his way through the courts and ended up in Rome. And that's fascinating to me. And those scenes from the book of Acts are some of the best courtroom scenes ever recorded. And uh, and I'm I'm looking forward to my time in heaven with Paul because I want to have a conversation with him about those things because they're just quite wonderful and unique. Well, I hope you do enough good works to have final justification. Well, I'm working that way. You know, I'm hoping that my final (laughs) salvation or future salvation is secure. So um, I'll I'll I'll, I'll stand on my. uh, I'll, we I'll do know we do know John Tucker has better theology than that, but Indeed. we like to kid on the pactum Indeed. because John Tucker is no gospel preacher. He understands law and gospel and a thing or two about the civil law, which is what we're talking to him about here right. today on the episode. Let's talk about your book project that's coming up that's different than civil law. Yeah. So I've been toying with the idea of writing a book that kind of focuses on um, some of the legal phrases and ideas and words that are used in Scripture, the law for the gospel. So now you have your pastor hat on. I do. Right? This yeah. is not Esquire talk. No, not uh, necessarily. Okay. But it's based upon my experience with the law, of course. Mm-hmm. And what I've been struck by is the frequency with which the Scripture uses legal terms to help us better understand the significance of our salvation. You know, So, for example, in Ephesians chapter 1 alone, we have these types of legal words. Adoption, trespasses, forgiveness, inheritance three times, sealed, pledge, and redemption. Those are all legal words. Those words all have a forensic quality to them. And that that speaks to the binding nature 
of God's work of salvation and the guarantee and the promise. So, for example, today in 1 Peter, you teased out in chapter 1 the idea of our inheritance being guaranteed, Mm -hmm. which is a wonderful concept. And, and it's legal, right? And it's legal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he, you know, you, 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 we use words like inheritance. We have words like justification, judgment, pardon. Even grace mm-hmm. is a legal term. Debt, canceled, mercy, guarantee, as I've noted. So you have these, these words that have a unique meaning are used by the apostles. So, for example, in Revelation chapter 7, John speaks to the issue of being sealed. Well, John is reaching into the the legal custom of sealing legal documents to show that it's guaranteed, that it's fixed, that it can't be altered. And legitimate. Are, and legitimate. Mm-hmm. That's right. So these are authentic. Mm-hmm. And so those types of ideas are throughout Scripture. And so my hope is to kind of capture um, uh, that in a, in a book and speak to these types of legal terms as it relates to how we can uh, understand the gospel in the context of these legal terms. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to you proofing it for me. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Oh, okay. One more final shift, and that is pastorally. Let's talk about what encourages you as a pastor. You've been at the same church for seven years. I'm not sure what it is anymore, but it used to be the average was two years at a church. Uh, And so in America, that was the average stay. You've been seven years and uh, a lot has happened. What encourages you? And then let's talk about what dis- discourages you. That'll help our listeners know how to pray for you also. Well, what encourages me is just seeing how God works in people's lives and, and people coming to a, um, uh, a deeper understanding of God's Word, um, uh, becoming grounded and settled, and so to speak, and understanding important truths. So, for example, you know, in the last year, we've been working through um, uh, covenant theology and um, some eschatology issues as well. And it's been really remarkable and encouraging to me to watch the people begin to grasp the law-gospel distinction and understanding the significance of that from the context of the covenant of works and the covenant of grace and the covenant of redemption. And in talking to the people that you pastor, so many of them are getting it. It seems to be that they are. It was and, so exciting to me uh, just to experience dialoguing with them, talking with them. And uh, I, you don't get the credit for it. So praise God for the fact that he's been using you to help people. It's no wonder you're encouraged. I am encouraged. And so it's uh, it's been fun to be a part of that and working through the material and people, the eyes kind of, the lights coming on, so to speak, as it relates to understanding um, justification uh-huh. and and the fact that, um, I'm justified because of someone else's work and understanding the two atoms and, and, and the pictures that are so vividly painted for us in Scripture that way. So that's been an encouragement to me, people having a deeper understanding of God's Word and as a result, a deeper love for Christ. So we have the guilt, grace, gratitude paradigm, Sure, I think, is becoming something that the folks at our church are grasping in a deeper in more significant way, and their motivation for living for Christ is no longer just faithing in their faithfulness, yeah. it being all about them, but rather knowing that they're doing it out of gratitude for what Christ has done because they now understand these biblical categories that are given to us to point us to Christ. So awesome. And, and so, so yeah, you've ruined them for life. I, well, <laughs> well, actually, it, right? It's a glorious ruin. It's a ruin. glorious ruin. That's Indeed. true. How, so. about, how about discouragement? I hate to end on that, but I think we're going to do that. Well, I think all pastors kind of face those unique challenges of 
frustrations with um, being disappointed by people. And Pactum um, listeners, we are recording on a Sunday evening, yeah, so, so it's the pastoral low yeah, time. Yeah, this this Monday, the Sunday evening Monday uh, time frame yeah. is never quite good for a pastor, but. <laughs> You know, you want people to live and love for the, love the Lord, and and sometimes you scratch your head about certain things as to why they aren't, and and you get frustrated about that and discouraged, and um, you wonder why people don't stick to their commitments to the church. Do they love Christ? And that's discouraging. You question as to why they're even there or why they've left or what they've done, things of that nature. So, I think um, you know just the unique challenges of being a pastor that are. You know the the being the, the the person that everyone comes to and the emotional aspect of it. Mm-hmm. You know you're you're always in that context of of trying to be um, extra helpful and trying to figure out people's problems, and that can become, mm-hmm. I think, somewhat burdensome at times. But mm-hmm. that's just part of the ministry, and you trust the Lord, and you keep moving forward, and knowing that His church, and He'll build it, and He'll work it out. Mm-hmm. I was on a walk today after church was over and I was speaking with my wife and I was, I said to her, I said, you know, I I was here at the church a year ago and without question, the congregation and the church and everything seems healthier than it was 12 months ago. So praise God. You might not be seeing it and you might be discouraged sometimes, but how encouraging it is to see so many people helped to be able to read the Bible better and they'll always be able to. And so I want you to be encouraged. I'm encouraged that you're on the show today, too. Well, I'm encouraged by the fact that you are interested in our ministry. You and Mike have been incredibly important to me, and I appreciate that. And I appreciate men who will take a stand on issues like the law and the gospel. And I owe a great debt of gratitude to you and to Mike for teaching me um, some of these important things. I was a gospel guy. (laughs) Um, I was a dispensational guy. And um, and thankful to men like my dad and then you and Mike who've come along and helped me understand these things that I can better communicate them to people that I love and that the Lord cares about. So thank you for that. Praise the Lord for it. Thank you so much for being on the episode today. It's been great. If you want to know more about John, you can go to the website, thecommunitybiblechurch.com, thecommunitybiblechurch.com. You can find links to sermons there also. Uh, They're on Facebook, The Community Bible Church. Also on YouTube, they have a channel you can subscribe to. I think the best way to find it would be to type in The Community Bible Church, Beloit. How do you spell Beloit? B-E-L-O-I-T. Okay, in Beloit, Ohio. Easy to find. You can find good sermons on there, good content, resources. And if you want to be be in touch with the Pactum, you can find us all sorts of ways on Twitter, on Instagram. But you can also find us on our website. Go there for gear. Go there for resources. Go there for episodes. And that would be thepactum.org. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of The Pactum, and we'll see you next time on The Pactum.